Okay, as in go. Sorry, one second. Fork Tales, a podcast that feeds the food and beverage world. Oh, awesome. Tales is brought to you by Vigor, a branding and marketing agency for passion-driven, innovative restaurant, beverage, and hospitality brands. Learn more at VigorBranding.com. If you love what we're serving up, please give Fork Tales a five-star review on your podcast service of choice. Think of it as a tip for good service. Everyone, today I am joined by longtime friend uh, and client uh, Melvin De La Cerda, who is the president and CEO of Johnny's Pizza House. Melvin, say hello. Give a little bit of backstory. Good morning, Joseph. Good, good to see you, my friend. Um, my name is Melvin De La Cerda. Uh, I have been started working with the Johnny's Pizza House uh, in high school. Uh, and I just uh, last month turned 60 years old, so that gives you an indication of how long I've been with this company. Um, started in high school just because that's where all of my buddies were working. Had no intention of it turning into a career, uh, but I hit it at the right time, and uh, the company proved to be a, a, a good place to, to work, and I enjoyed it, enjoyed the people, uh, enjoyed the restaurant uh, industry. And so, like I said, it's uh, all these years later, I'm, I'm still here with, with Johnny's Pizza. Started out at the very bottom, of course. You know, I was only 16 years old. So, um, I, you know, was busting tables and cutting up meat and shredding cheese and just all the things you do in a restaurant. And uh, worked my way up. Uh, eventually uh, got into the, the area of human resources with the company and eventually moved on up into the, the position I'm in now. Nice. Yeah. And I think uh, your, your journey is not dissimilar from a lot of other folks in the organization, if I recall. Um, so for, for those who are not familiar with Johnny's Pizza House, um, it is a multi-unit brand out of uh, based in West Monroe, Louisiana, which is the northwest of the state, technically, correct? Uh, uh, kind yeah. of north central-ish? Northeast, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, um, but it's all across the the northern, mostly the northern part of Louisiana. You've gotten down mm-hmm. into Baton Rouge, but haven't quite cracked into New Orleans, which is obviously what most people will be familiar with Louisiana. Right. Um, can you describe uh, the service model and and basically how it's worked compared to like some of the other major pizza chains? Well, you know, we uh, Johnny started this company back in uh, 1967. So uh, we're coming up on our 55th anniversary. Um, and it, when he first started the company in, in Monroe, Louisiana, which is across the river from where our headquarters is, it was uh, probably, I think, the second pizza place in the whole area. Uh, so needless to say, when he started, he had to introduce people to pizza. They, they literally did not know what pizza was. Um, he had learned the craft going to school in Iowa where he went to college and uh, brought it down uh, here and then was originally was making it for his friends and at the poker game and that sort of thing. Uh, and they encouraged him to, you know, you need to do this for the public. So uh, starting out, like I said, Johnny had to uh, sell other things, you know, uh, the hamburgers and uh you know, he had a grill. So, and then at the same time, he offered the pizza and introduced it to the, to the people. Needless to say, as a result of that, I think uh, his brand and, and his company 
uh, became very emotionally uh, a part of the people here in North Louisiana. Uh, you know, they were, were probably third or fourth generation of customers now. And so needless to say, we, we have a, a strong hold on this part of the country. And, and I mean, it's, it's something that you can't replicate. You know, pizza's everywhere now, so you can't go into an area and, and you know, become the first pizza place and, and steal people's hearts that way. So uh, when we go into new markets now, you know, we have to compete with the big boys. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of good pizza out there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, but still, you know, we, we offer, you know, pretty much the same thing that a lot of them do. We, we you know, have indoor, in-store dining. Uh, we have a buffet at, at most of our locations. Uh, delivery, of course. Uh, pick up and take out. Uh, so, yeah, you know, we pretty much follow the suit with, with a lot of the, the, the bigger known, better known companies out there. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because these from most of the locations, uh, from what I recall, uh, are actually pretty large footprints, and it seems to me that the brand never really latched on to the delivery first or delivery only model, like like a not McDonald's, <laughs> like a Domino's, uh, even Pizza Hut. You know, Pizza Hut shed their internal dining, their interior dining, a, a while back, and opted for a more a delivery first approach. And of course, Papa John's, um, you know, has, was there a strategy or reason to keep that, that gathering place um, in, instead of going full on delivery mode? Well, that was kind of how Johnny built it. You know, he was a hometown boy here and um, he wanted to bring people together uh, and, and give them uh, an atmosphere that they, they felt comfortable in. You know, one of the things that he did early on was got uh, involved in, in youth sports. You know, baseball during the spring here in Louisiana is, is a big thing. And so uh, you, I would challenge you to try to find a baseball field here that doesn't have a Johnny's Pizza House sign on it. Um, you know, he, he got involved in that. He actually, whenever uh, video recording first came about, uh, he bought a couple of these VCR uh, cameras and recorders and went out and filmed the boys playing ball and then handed out uh, little pamphlets to let them know that, hey, come to the pizza house tonight and you can watch yourself play ball on TV. And back then, that was a novel thing. And so sure enough, people you know brought their ball teams in and, uh, you know, it, it just it created a, this, this family atmosphere. Um, you know, we, we have birthday parties, uh, you know, sh- people have showers, um, all kinds of reasons to gather. And so I think that's the main reason that, that we kept this model and, and it's been very successful for us. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I'm sure the listeners are probably thinking like, how did that model, how, how did you manage to keep it going during a pandemic when, you know, doors closed and, you know, gathering became more of a, I guess, danger in some people's eyes, right? Like getting mm-hmm. close to other folks. Uh, same thing with buffets. Like how, how has the, the business worked through that uh, pivoted or just um, did you guys just hunker down and weather the storm? Well, you know, of course it started in early 2020. And when it first hit and we knew, you know, our state uh, had pretty much shut down indoor dining completely. And, uh, you know, we were like everybody else. We didn't know what the future held. Uh, we, you know, we shut down, got rid of all excess spending 
you know, started hanging on to cash, thinking that, hey, we're, you know, we're going to have a rough go ahead of us. Uh, and we did for about the first week. And what we found out, though, was because all these other restaurants were being shut down completely, pizza restaurants and, and other types of restaurants that had already had it part of their model to deliver, uh, had it their model to uh, for pickup orders. Mm-hmm. We were in a perfect position to, uh, you know, to, to service the, the customers, to service the public. Um, and so what we saw was the opposite of what we expected. We saw an increase in sales and primarily because of uh, the, uh, the lack of competition with all these other restaurants shutting down. You know, we couldn't do indoor dining anymore. Nobody could. Mm-hmm. So all of our buffets were shut down. It was strictly pickup and delivery. Uh, and, and, of course, the men- menu was cut back a little bit because we no longer could have a salad bar. Um, but we, you know, it, it, it it turned out for the best for us, and, and of course, you've seen in the trade journals, you know, a lot of other companies similar to us, you know, felt you know, they, they had experienced the same same type of a, a business during that time. Yeah. And you guys also have another feature that not a lot of pizza places have had in the past, which is a pickup window. Um, was that part of that saving grace? Was that part of the uh, uh, one of the things that really kept you guys thriving? It certainly was. And, you know, that's something that when we first started and for years and years, you know, we we didn't have pickup windows. Everybody thinks of it as a drive through, uh, which pizza, you know, it takes close to 20 minutes from the time you order it to the time you receive it. So, you know, it just, you know, our business can't operate a, a traditional drive through like a McDonald's or uh, those type places. Uh, but what we found was that if, you know, we, we advertise it as a pickup window and people love it. I mean, we would not open a location now without one. And uh, there's people uh, that, that we know that go out of their way to come to one of our restaurants that has a pickup window. Mm-hmm. We've got them in every restaurant that, that we can put them in. We've got a few restaurants that are landlocked and we can't get the lane around the sure. building. But if we can put it in there, it, it's in there. And it, it, it proved to be a great uh, reason for the success we had during the pandemic and ongoing with the pandemic. Yeah, I imagine, I mean, just the thinking about the patrons who really uh, love Johnny's, frequent Johnny's a lot, and, and brands like that, whether it was realized at the time or not, it really does hit a category use occasion, which is I have a car full of kids. Uh, we're not going to be eating in. You know, we, we, we need to take this and go. Maybe it's to the ball field. Maybe the pizza's mm-hmm. brought there. Um, getting all those kids out, basically corralling the kittens, as it were, is a lot of work. This kind of saves saves that time, saves that that uh, heartache and that um, that difficult scenario. And it's it's quite brilliant. I think a couple other brands have started to adopt it, actually, um, where they have a pickup window now, which uh, I laughed when I saw. I was like, man, Johnny's been doing that forever. Um, <laughs> so that's good, but, um, let's, let's get back to your journey because it is, it is a journey that I think a number of folks within the organization have had, if I recall, and that is first job was at Johnny's or at least early in a, the career was Johnny's. And then you have stuck with it. Um, what do you think contributed to that? What, what kept you there? And then what made you come back? Well, I think a lot of it, especially us old timers that have you know started back in the seventies, um, it was primarily working with with our founder Johnny Huntsman, uh, founded the company, uh, and he is 
or was one of the most charismatic people that you would want to meet. Uh, he was great with people. Uh, he originally was a, a, a coach. You know, he went to school on a, a football scholarship, like I said, up in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Uh, came back and, and coached uh, some football here at the local high school. Um, so he was good with people. He, he knew how to treat people. And he created this atmosphere, this family. Of, of, it was just fun working there. As we all grew up and, and we learned the lessons of business and uh, how to run restaurants, you know, we it was just, you know, you did, I know it's cliche to say, but it was just one big happy family. Uh, and of course, as families have, you know, we, we've had our differences and, and butted heads before. But uh, still, though, it, it's a familiarity that that we all enjoy, uh, and I think it's led to the su- success of us personally and the company. Yeah, how do you keep that going? I think you know when we think about the labor shortages right now, and a lot of a lot of small brands, large brands, startups, single unit, nine hundred unit. Uh, it's really hard to have that sense of family fostered. Mm-hmm. Is is there a secret in the sauce, as it were? Uh, we have, you know we train our our management. We we give them as much human relations training as we can. And and one of the things that we try to impress on them is that people don't leave companies; they leave people. They leave managers. Mm-hmm. And so we try to keep, you know recreate that same family atmosphere that that we grew up with. Uh, and, and we train, like I said, we train our people to do that um, and, and not give them a reason to, to look other places. And, you know, we, we have we've done what just about all other uh, food companies have done. We've had to raise the uh, entry uh, wage for, for employees. Uh, you know, I think everybody has done that, but there's no doubt that they don't stay just for the money. So right. we create that that try to create that atmosphere. Now another thing, and this is a big part of our company, and it's also a a, a big reason to, to love Johnny Huntsman was when he got ready to start pulling away from the company, uh, he didn't like the idea of selling it to a bigger company because he knew that they would come in and, and cut people. Uh, you know they wouldn't duplicate their services. Uh, and and we were the people that had made him successful, and mm-hmm. he had a you know, personal interest in seeing for the well-being of us. So we created what's known as an employee stock ownership plan. And this is a, a regulated plan. The Department of Labor, the IRS, you know, they're heavily involved in this, so it's it's not a fluke, <laughs> right? Um, and and so basically, the employees would start owning part of the company. And he, uh, he started uh, in the year 2000 is when this thing was started. And in December of 2018, the employees owned 100% of our company. And that's where we stand today. You know, this company uh, is owned by the employees. So that, I think, also has a lot to do with, with people hanging around. You know, they, you know they're, they're part owners. I mean, why, why not stay and, and, you know, work hard and, and see your stock increase and uh, yeah, you know, go towards your retirement. Yeah, and so for those who are listening and haven't heard the the term before, uh, for the sake of time, sanity, um, the employee <laughs> stock ownership plan, we'll, we'll call it ESOP from now on. So um, that march to ESOP was eighteen years. Uh, that's a long time. Um, what, what was the reason for the length? Is that standard? And, and how intricate was it to to shift this? Uh, privately held company into a not only publicly held but 
employee-held company. Yeah. Well, it, it does take a little bit of time uh, because what happens, the owner, in this case, it started with Johnny. Uh, he, he sold 30% of his stock to the ESOP. And so the ESOP was just created, you know, it didn't have any funding, didn't have any money to pay for that stock. So what we did was the company borrowed the money from a bank and then the earnings of the company went into the ESOP to pay off the loan. Um, you know, I know it's a getting into, don't want to get too, too deep into the weeds on that, but uh, it takes a little while, you know, to, to make the money to, to start paying off that amount. Sure. And once we paid off the first loan, we bought a second a chunk of his stock. And then it went like that. And we had, uh, at the time, we had three other outside shareholders. So once we bought Johnny's stock, we started buying their stock as well. So, you know, it just took time. And, uh, you know, ESOPs, it, it's pretty typical that it would take this, this amount of time. Some ESOPs are, you know, never become 100%. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be. Uh, but that was the goal of Johnny when he started this thing. He wanted this company to be passed on to its employees. And, and it's, uh, like I said, it's proven to be very successful. Uh, it, it worked out for him. You know, he got, sure. uh, you know, what he needed out, out of the company. And it certainly is working out for the employees. That's great. I mean, I love that you touched on a couple things, um, whether you know it or not. Uh the, the narrative around the, the labor shortage, specifically in the restaurant industry, it's definitely bled into other ones, is that of money and compensation. And while that is one of the facets, um, I think you touched on it quite well, that it's not the only facet. So you have folks out there that are stumping for a federal minimum wage hike, which, to be completely honest, I think is, uh, I want to use the word insane, but I think it's uh, it's very undetailed to the detriment of, of the industry. I mean, what I'm getting by that is $15 an hour in Los Angeles County, it's not going to get you very far. It's not enough. $15 in South Arkansas, you're, you're living pretty well. Um, and there's just too much difference across. So, you know, while I may stump for not a federal minimum wage and keeping it at the state level or even local level, um, that's only one part of it. And I, and I think if I've heard correctly, a lot of what has been the magic of Johnny's in the 70s, but also even today, is um, a feeling of cooperation, of shared mutual interest. Um, that ESOP has taken away the I'm working for the man, as it probably was said back in the 70s and, and 80s, to, you know, I'm working for a fat cat that is just raking in the cash on my hard labor. So it's actually just completely disarmed that. Um, and with that in mind, what does the uh, the say of the employee, how much does that affect decisions? Um, I guess what I'm getting at is it a true democracy a la ancient Greece where everybody gathers and then everyone has a voice? Or is it maybe more of a representative republic like we have in, in uh, the United States today where the managers speak on behalf of the people? How, how does that even play out if you're willing to share? Yeah, I mean, it, it's more of a republic. I mean, you, you think about it, you couldn't take the, you know, 900 different people that work for our company on any given day and, and have them vote on some of these decisions that need to be made in the company, and especially some of the higher level decisions. Uh, you know, it's, we're running a business. I mean, it's a sure. million dollar business and uh, you don't just let anybody make the decisions. And so we actually have a fiduciary responsibility 
to run this company uh, at the, with these participants in mind. You know, we're, we're supposed to make decisions and run this company for their benefit. And that's how the thing is set up. You know, the, the, there's a trustee that overlooks uh, everything that, that we do. Uh, they actually are the ones that control the, the stock on behalf of the employees. Mm-hmm. And so most things, there are some limited uh, situations where the participants, the employees would vote uh, on something. But the day-to-day stuff, you know, as far as electing, you know, who's going to be the president and who's going to be the officers of the company to run this thing, you know, that's mainly handled by the trustee. Uh, and it, it works well. Uh, you know, if, if I don't do my job to the extent that the trustee believes I'm doing a good job, well, they find somebody else to do it. And so the trustee also has that fiduciary responsibility. You know, and these are personal responsibilities too. So everybody that's involved uh, takes it seriously, and uh, we, you know we work uh, again, you know, for the the benefit of these employees, these participants in the plan. Yeah. So it seems yeah. like it's it's very similar to answering to a board, mm-hmm. except. You know, the board just happens to be not up top, but actually, I hate to say it, but down below, it's, it's amongst <laughs> the people. The people are the board. Um, and and you're, you're certainly not uh, any less scrutinized than a president of a company that answers to a board would be, if, right. if, if I'm reading it correctly. Yeah. Um, excellent. So there, there are some other things that I think make Johnny's unique um, outside of that. And, and that is even down to the product level, it seems like their product is considered through the eyes of gathering and sharing and bringing people together. Um, I'm kind of throwing this one up for you, but talk about how you cut your pizza. Because for me, <laughs> when I first encountered Johnny's, I was like, they do what now? <laughs> so explain yeah. how it's cut and why it's cut that way. Well, and I guess, uh, again, this must have come from uh, up in Iowa where Johnny uh, first learned how to do pizza, but it's not cut in the traditional pie shape. Uh, It's cut horizontally. It's cut one time in the middle and then sectioned off so each piece is slender. It's two inches. Each piece is is two inches wide and, uh, you know, the the length of whatever size pizza you have. Um, So it's... You know, it, it's kind of it's not completely unique, but you find very few other pizza places that, that would cut their pizza like this. Yeah, it's kind of along the lines of uh, if you order a cheese sticks from one of the other guys. Yeah. Um, you know, one one of the things that struck me about it, I, I don't know if it's uh, look, I'm a, I'm a purist. I was raised in the Northeast, so I have the way I want my pizza cut. However, with this, it almost feels less like a. Um, where am I going with this? Kind of like. I could probably eat half the pizza and not feel guilty. <laughs> Whereas if I eat half of a pizza of like a New York style pizza, I, I'm, I'm kind of questioning my life decisions. Um, <laughs> so it, it's, it's very snackable almost in, in a good way, in a good way. And uh, I think that's what definitely struck me about it. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> from there, there's a lot of other choices that have been made. Um, you know, the way you apply meat to the pizza, uh, uncooked, so the juices kind of get in there, as well as like chopping of veggies. And I think all these things culminate to a better product uh, overall and a better end result. Um, how have you how have you fought against the fiscal desire for a cheaper 
path um, and holding on to some of those things that matter most, like the quality of product, or the quality of ingredient, I should say. That's uh, ingrained, at least in, in the current administration with this company. Uh, you know, we were taught directly by Johnny. And that was one thing that, that was off limits as far as, you know, trying to do anything that would hurt the quality of the pizza. Uh, and that's part uh, of our fabric. I mean, that, you know, we, we hold that to be, uh, you know, one of those absolute things. You do not hurt quality. Mm. Uh, so, and, and we have passed that on just as he's passed that on to us. Uh, we have passed that on to the next generation. I don't think anybody in this next generation would do anything to hurt the quality. Now, years down the road, who knows what could happen, but if we do our job right and the next group does their job right and passes on those, uh, you know, the, those beliefs, uh, the core beliefs of this company, I don't think we'll ever do anything to change it. We understand that. And, and you know, we use a hundred percent real mozzarella cheese and the cheese prices, you know, fluctuates tremendously. Uh, it's kind of at a high level right now. But it would be real easy to, to use some blended imitation, but mm-hmm. that would never happen. I mean, you know, it, it's uh, it, you, I think that's short term thinking. You know, you might make a little bit more money for a month or two, uh, but long term, I, I think it would kill the company. So yeah. as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm here, you know, that there's not going to be a reduction in the quality of our products. And you're, one thing you mentioned, and this is a little bit, maybe a little bit unique for pizza places. We do use uh, raw hamburger and raw sausage on our product, uh, you know, so and it, it does, it changes, it's a different flavor than pre-cooked uh, meats, and it, it makes a big difference in the flavoring of our, of our pizza. Yeah, it really does. Um, I can attest to that firsthand. Um, I, I definitely miss getting out there and having some uh, some of the pizza because we don't have it around here. Um, speaking of that, like, let's let's talk about expansion plans. So we currently, the brand currently sits at uh, 48, 50 units. Where are we at? Uh, we've got a total of 44. 44. Yeah, 44. 35 corporate and nine uh, franchise locations. Great. And so what's what's the expansion plans? Like, I mean, what, what are your sites set on? Are you looking to get into other states? Is it about reinforcing your, your stronghold in Louisiana? Um, what does that future look like for the brand? Well, we're, we're planning on expanding and uh, we would have expanded. Last year, we opened up one new location and we're looking on the corporate side of, of going into some new markets. Nice. Uh, on the franchise side, we got two locations now that are under construction that should open first half of this year within the next quarter probably um the thing right now that's holding us back is just this situation with with covid right uh, you know we 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 had trouble uh getting management people hired and trained uh the the staff that we had you know it, it really stressed them out you know because we were operating shorthanded a lot of times um but they hung around. I mean, one thing that I've noticed about our company is we have not cut our hours. We have not had to close. Mm. So, and there's a lot of companies out there that are, that are doing that. So uh, we feel good about it. However, it is a strain and, and we're kind of waiting for this labor crisis to ease up a little bit and then we'll get back into our, our expansion. You know, we like want to try to grow slowly uh, you know, from the nucleus that we have here, you know, not get too far away from, from our market and then just kind of grow out that way. And then franchising, like I said, we're in Mississippi already. we got another location about to open 
in Mississippi. Uh, we kind of let South Louisiana go franchising, and then we got a second one uh, right outside of New Orleans in a little mm. town called Laplace, Louisiana. Uh, that's about to, to get open. So so we are expanding. We're expanding slow. Uh, we just feel like that's the best way to do it, to try to ensure that, that quality stays in, in our product and in our service. Yeah, and it seems like you're in a unique position where uh, you're not beholding to um – I mean, you're not beholden to people who are hungry for the numbers. It's more hungry for the longevity. The numbers will come. And it seems like that's a different perspective, which is benefiting the brand very well. Um, So uh, this might be the hardest question of all. If you had one final meal on this plane, (laughs) what would it be? Where would it be? And and why that meal? Well, it'd have to be a Johnny's pizza, wouldn't it? (laughs) We have a uh, one of our products, our, our probably our, our specialty pizza is uh, called a Sweep the Kitchen, and that was a name that, that Johnny came up with when he opened up his very first location. Uh, and it, of course, has everything uh, on on the pizza, and and that would be that's that's my personal favorite. Uh, it's a lot of people's personal favorites, and uh, that's uh, that would probably be the that be the the meal I would order. I would think with, with anchovies or without. I can do either way. I usually eat it without because the people around me don't care for anchovies. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't mind them. I, I have acquired that taste. I love it. Well, hey, thank you for uh, taking the time out to talk to us about this. I think it's really insightful. Um, where, where can people find Johnny's Pizza House and connect with you? Okay. Well, you go to our website. It's Johnny's, J-O-H-N-N-Y-S-P-H.com. And uh, that, that's our website. Uh, if you want to send me uh, an email, my name is, or my email address is melvin at johnnysph.com. That's M-E-L-V-I-N at J-O-H-N-N-Y-S-P-H.com. Wonderful. This has been great. Thank you for sharing everything. And uh, it's, it's always great to talk to you. Great to see you again, Joseph. And looking forward to seeing you in person here soon. Absolutely. love what we served up, please follow us at Vigor Branding on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Medium. Fork Tales is produced by the team at Vigor. Audio and video post-productions provided by Zencaster. Music performed by Jet Trash and licensed through musicbed.com. Joseph handles his own hair, makeup, and stunts. Copyright 2003 to 2021, Vigor Graphic Design, LLC, all rights reserved.